of our clients went from running their operating their reviews on a 50-page PowerPoint presentation that had a number of P&Ls, balance sheets, cash flows, different metrics and measures, to single-page dashboards online that had the critical few metrics and I could look and see without even reading a number, you could get a feel for how the business was doing. That changed the game completely. Welcome to the Hackett Group's Business Acceleration Podcast. Week after week, you'll hear from top experts on how to avoid obstacles, manage detours, and celebrate milestones on the journey to world-class performance. Hello, and welcome to Hackett Group's Business Acceleration Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the five questions every CFO should ask their FP&A leadership. I'm Jason Logman, a principal in our finance transformation practice. And as we've gone through the last several years, be it with COVID, the supply chain constraints that we experienced, the interest rate volatility, what we've seen is a demand for the FP&A function in organizations to do more, more quickly, and with greater agility. And today, what we're going to talk about are what are those questions our CFOs can be asking to drive that type of capability within the FP&A function. And today with me, I've got Glenn Hafler, who's a senior principal within our finance transformation practice as well. And Glenn's going to be walking through some of the questions and we're going to collectively provide some answers. So Glenn, if you'd like to go, let's get started. Okay. Thanks, Jason. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Jason, I guess the first question that we often talk about as we're confronting CFOs is whether or not they have a vision on how their organization is going to impact the business. I'm curious to your thoughts on that. It's such an important and often overlooked question. Too many times, especially I mean, in all areas of business, but especially in FP&A, we can get caught in the routine. We're going to create this monthly operating review package. We're going to do the forecast. We're going to create the plan. And of course, within that, we're going to be helping the business think through options and ideas and opportunities to improve. But what we really want to be able to see is FP&A functions creating a compelling vision for how do they become a partner that proactively identifies business opportunities, shows the ability to effectively communicate and influence the business, not just providing the data, but actually coming through and helping them, convincing them of the right actions to be able to take, and really producing very concise, impactful, how do we move the needle analysis. And it's not just about thinking those things as a finance function. How do we communicate those things, both the expectation to our business leaders, as well as to our finance teams, So we understand we're all shooting for that more, again, we like to use the word proactive, kind of nimble ability to really influence how the business is operating. And so setting that as an initial vision then often can cascade into a lot of other things related to process and technology and skill. Absolutely. And I think that vision up front is so important. It's really hard to break away from a culture of, well, this is the way we've always done it, or this is the way information needs to be seen within the organization. Yeah, there are some, though, that really excel at that. And one of the things I'm not sure that we see often enough are rewards to those individuals for actually thinking outside the box. I love it. I love it. And that's where oftentimes finance will get a red badge of courage if you're, you you stayed up till three in the morning just to create a new Excel file, which might be super valuable. But how often do we really reward and encourage, hey, they really found a, a new way that we can attack or drive an operational efficiency, a way to improve margin, a way to drive revenue. I, I love it. Yep, absolutely. And so as we kind of walk forward, we're starting to think about what are the right things that organizations can do to drive that vision? More importantly, how do they set what information is needed to help the organization move forward? 
Yeah, such an important part of it. And really, as we help companies transform in their FP&A functions, the root of it is often what are we measuring and what are we managing? That then will, of course, dovetail into what are we planning, what are we forecasting, how are we running our operating reviews? And one of the positive outcomes that we've observed as a result of all the instability and volatility in the last couple of years is we've seen folks have to focus a lot more on what are those critical few metrics that truly drive the business. And if we can identify those, get down to those 10, 20 metrics by role, by individual, and keep those cascaded in the right way, we can drive a tremendous amount of focus. And too often we see these management review decks that will have 400 metrics in them with five different levels of detail across 10 different dimensions. And it's sometimes hard to find, all right, what are those five to seven actions I need to be able to take to impact performance next week, next month, next year? And so really making sure there's that, what are the right metrics? Are the right people getting access to them? And then there's an aspect of profitability as well. How do we look at our customers, our products, our geographies, channels, maybe above customers? And how do we get to ways we can effectively look at them without allocating every dollar and every nit and nat, and then I end up with a number that maybe I understand or maybe I don't because it's got a bunch of different mathematical equations behind it. So getting to simple, attributable views of profitability with the right metrics, we've seen companies drive a tremendous amount, both of progress in terms of their influence to the business and a ton of efficiency and really driving value from the FP&A side as well. Absolutely. And I think this is an area where the finance organization needs to be mindful and nimble. Prior to the pandemic, I think everybody was really focused on labor costs in large measure. And so a lot of reporting was really driven around labor costs. Today, it's much more around supply chain costs and, and where there are escalations and what's happening with the overall cost of getting products to market in a lot of cases. So I think it's important that organizations understand that these metrics can and will change over time. I love it. Totally true. And as an example, one of our clients, a large Fortune 20 manufacturer, went from essentially running their operating their reviews on a 50-page PowerPoint presentation that had a number of P&Ls, balance sheets, cash flows, different metrics and measures, to single-page dashboards online that had the critical few metrics. And I could look and see, without even reading a number, you could get a feel for how the business was doing by the stop lighting, by the graphics, by the other pieces of the puzzle. And that changed the game completely, both in terms of how they ran the reviews and the amount of prep and background information that was needed to be generated in order to get there. And exactly to Glenn's point, every month to two months, they'd say, all right, look, is this still the right set? Are we looking at the right things? Are we managing it the right way? And they found incredible increases. Again, yes, productivity, but also the business receptivity, the business interest and passion around driving critical actions out of those management reviews. And I also think you're hitting on a very critical and subtle point, which is management reporting should be getting away from variance analysis on different time measures, budget forecasts last year, talking less about the numbers and more about the actions to drive improvement across the organization. And metrics play a big part of that. Love it. Absolutely. I've now set my vision. I have a set of reports. I have a path forward with what type of information I provide. And now a vice president comes to me and says he wants another analysis that isn't in the stack. I think we see that all the time. What are some of your thoughts around just kind of managing expectation from the business and maybe saying no gently? It's such an important point because reporting and analytics historically, especially at large companies, is almost always just an additive exercise. So 
the vice president of marketing asked for a specific analysis six months ago, and now we've decided to repeat that every month, even though he or she maybe hasn't looked at it since six months ago when they asked the initial question. And you end up with these, I mean, some of our clients literally volumes of hundreds of thousands of reports that are produced on a regular basis, which sure, some of them are probably interesting, but are they really back, as Gwen and I talked about before, back to that root of what are really those important metrics and measures we need to manage the business? And what we've seen, the incredibly important, so many transformations will occur, we'll, we'll get the right metrics in place, we'll get the access to those via online portals, you know, mobile, all the other good stuff. We're forecasting better. And for a year, we're cranking and it's great. Two years out, still doing well, but now we're getting some some noise in the system where people are doing things offline. Three years out, gosh, we're now half, half of our activities in these new systems that we built to be agile. And now half of the folks are out there doing things that are, again, not ill-intended, but maybe not efficient or necessary. So where we see companies that are very effective at maintaining improvement is to call it governance sounds very harsh and maybe bureaucratic, but we need to empower our teams. And it's both a skill and a culture to be able to say, I understand your question. I know the analysis that you're asking for. It's an important question. Either these are the things that we already have in our back pocket that we can help answer 90% of that and the extra 10% isn't worth the effort. Or I understand your question, but I think if we looked at that a little bit differently, we can get to an answer that'll actually be more effective in, in impacting the organization. Often as finance folks, we think, okay, my business leader has asked for something. I must now go do that which in some cases is the right answer. But again, that can lead to this proliferation of information, of reports, of data, and you start to lose that benefit of focused metrics, being able to be agile across those different metrics. So really being able to encourage both the culture of saying, I understand your question, but I don't know that that's the right path. Here's a suggested answer. And then also getting our folks skilled enough, not just in creating PowerPoints or Excel files or Power BI or analytical analysis, but in the communication and influence capabilities that they can effectively go back to that leader and say, thank you, but this is what we really should be focused on. Absolutely. And report creep is something that is happens all the time. And it's really an unquantified tax on the finance organization, as you mentioned, as it just continues month after month after month and year after year. I think the fourth question to kind of focus in on is, is how should a finance organizations be spending their time? Are they spending it the right way or is there really just a lot of spin in the organization right now? Yeah, and this one is this one's important and it does really cross a lot of different aspects that, that drive it. A lot of it's what we talked about now. Are we, are we rationalized and focused on what we're reporting? Are we rationalized and focused on what we're planning and forecasting? We see so many organizations. We had one large client that had a driver model for revenue that had 70 different drivers in it, 30 Excel worksheets integrated across any number of different pieces of the puzzle. And their forecast accuracy was honestly fairly average, if not below average. But what they were doing was they'd create all these drivers. They do variance against all of those for every one of the different processes. They'd have reviews across different aspects of the organization to confirm the drivers. It was weeks of work every month to just get that model done, varianced and pushed forward. When we did a pretty simple analysis on that, we found most of those drivers were negatively correlated to actually driving revenue. Almost half were neutral, and there's really five or six things that really moved the needle. So that's a good example of we're doing analysis. It feels productive because we're putting numbers in places and we're putting drivers and we're doing variance, but we're not doing the right work. 
we need to make sure we're driving towards, again, focus metrics. Then the, what are the focus drivers that really move the needle for each of those metrics, measures, and our key financial elements? And then how do we look at streamlining and integrating the data and doing it so when I'm an analyst, I can log into a system, be it whichever flavor of EPM platform that you've chosen, and I am looking at a completed forecast or plan. It's got my revenue done by some sort of analytics or drivers, AI, ML, all that good stuff. It's got my other expenses, whether it be cost of goods or GNA, trended out by the right different elements all the way down through your working capital. And I'm making decisions on what business changes will I make to impact the outcome versus spending all my time trying to analyze and, and kind of just get the numbers in and tied. That's the differentiation of world-class FP&A functions is they're focused on not do the numbers tie. I mean, they have to, but we want those to be systematically tied. They're focused on what are the actions we're going to take to move those numbers in the right direction. Absolutely. What are your thoughts on the number of reports that organizations are providing right now in a typical, I might need this, so I will? Yeah, I would say the vast majority, unfortunately, of the companies we work with don't do a great job of managing report inventories. And I think often what you'll see is, oh yeah, well, at corporate, we have a single standard that we use for operating reviews across businesses or across geographies. That's fantastic. At most, especially larger, diverse companies, that is truly the tip of the iceberg. You've got this massive number across levels of the organization, across different functions within an organization, be it commercial, supply chain, GNA, R&D for some companies. You end up with Yes, a pretty tight group of information at the top with massive proliferation at the bottom, both in terms of reporting and in terms of metrics. And I guess I should say also in terms of how they plan and forecast those elements. So you end up with the answer is not everybody does one thing and one thing only, because we do have to be cognizant and respectful of business model differentiation, of market differentiation, of cost kind of makeup differentiation within our company. But an example, we're we're working with several CPG food companies now. If everybody across the world is making, distributing, and selling food, we probably don't need to do things that are wildly different across our different geographies. So how do we get to a set of relatively standard things we can govern and then drive that impact? Because then even as I move divisions or as I move across different elements, I've got a single way that I've been viewing the business and I understand it can move quickly and efficiently across the organization. Absolutely. And I think having a clear purpose of what each of those traditional cycles in the planning space are, long-range plan, annual plan, forecast, being clear on what that is can also help eliminate some of your reporting. As an example, I had a client once where they asked why questions in a long-range plan, and all that did was effectively force their team into a budgeting exercise that was very detailed and something that should have just been an estimate. And our conversation with them was, you need to change that to what if questions. What if market penetration changed? What if pricing changed? What impact does that have? And that fundamentally changes the way information is provided to answer those questions. It changes the level of effort, and it gets you out of those 200-page backup binders that finance organizations believe they need to answer executive questions. I know I see a lot of organizations that are very detailed in their planning. They want to try to provide that to operations. I know I have some questions as to the value of that. I'm curious as to your thoughts. Yeah, it is absolutely an area where we see a tremendous amount of time spent. And one thing you had mentioned earlier, Glenn, was around the purpose of why we're undertaking a process. And it sounds very motherhood and apple pie, right? Just it's very basic. Why am I creating a forecast or why am I creating a plan? 
But what we've found is when companies really be explicit around, okay, if I'm forecasting our business, I want to be as accurate or reliable as possible so I can hold my line management accountable and I can identify risks in our business as we look out, whether it's a quarter, two quarters, four quarters, whatever it is. And I can get a good feel for where I should and how I should allocate resources. Now, we work with some organizations that when they're going through that, they will forecast down, again, one of our CPG companies down to uh, EBIT by SKU. So 40, 50,000 SKUs going all the way down to EBIT. And what we find is that provides many folks with a false sense of security that, oh, I have all this detail. I can now answer any question that anybody ever asks me related to where a variance might have occurred. The reality, what we find, and we have decades literally of data that says this, the less detail you use, the fewer people involved and the faster you go, the more accurate your forecasts will be. So what we try to help folks get through is we need to be able to be accurate, manage resources, manage resource allocation, I should say, and hold executives accountable. What do we really need to be able to do that at the outcome? And that often results in being able to strip out whether that's the number of products we forecast or the number of customers or the line items within the P&L. There's a lot of factors that go into it. And when we're able to do that, we find one, because as we all know, much as we were discussing earlier, there's the aspect of creating a plan or forecast at that level of detail. And then there's an aspect of now I'm going to variance against all of that. I'm going to report against all of that. I might have to reforecast it. So it's it's not just a one-time hit to utilization of resource. It becomes an ongoing issue or concern. And again, 95% of the time we see it, it's actually not providing a better answer. It's providing a worse answer in terms of the forecast output and creating a tremendous amount of effort on the finance side. So that's where we've seen a big unlock of value is when we can reduce that detail, get us more accurate, get us faster, and then be able to manage the business and focus on that business management versus reconciling all the data. Absolutely. So I think the last question that every CFO should be asking their FP&A or business leaders is whether or not they have a clear vision of technology, how to enable it, how to leverage it. Technology is ever-changing, and it certainly impacts the FP&A organization. That's right. And a couple points in advance of that, because technology certainly, now I have to go back a little further with the advent of cloud, maybe 10 years ago, has really changed the speed at which we can implement in a FP&A organization. It would be sometimes years and years for an on-premise solution to get globally deployed. We can cut that down significantly now with cloud and some of the embedded functionality and, and pick the tool. This is not specific to any of the leading tools that are out there. But what we've also seen, again, across all the tools, the major tools out there, is companies that have spent time implementing them and then either didn't go live because the system was too complicated and cumbersome to actually get there or went live and shut down in a year or went live and re-implemented two to three years later because all they tried to do was just jam in all the different things they do today. And even these robust systems, again, none specifically, all of them are this way, can't handle or the process and the culture can't handle the amount of sophistication or craziness that happens as a result of those multitude of allocations and calculations and otherwise. So the first point is technology is not a silver bullet. We got to make sure we're simplifying all the good stuff we talked about first. I think the second piece that we see often is folks will step back and feel a little bit intimidated because there is a lot out there, right? You're hearing about generative AI now. We've had machine learning and statistical correlation analysis out there for quite a while. We got data lakes. We got Obviously, all the great reporting tools that are out there that can help us get stuff on dashboards. we got planning tools. So what we really want to make sure companies are thinking about first, especially as you get bigger and larger and more diverse, is we need to have a vision. How do we think about 
all these different components of the puzzle. And the vast majority of folks out there have tools that they can even leverage today, probably leverage them a lot more effectively. But we need to think across that landscape, if you will, which isn't 50 different things, but it's probably five or six around core reporting, core planning and forecasting, advanced analytics, workflow. And then how do we go over the top of that with just the strong use of AI and ML and all that machine learning and all that good stuff? But that shouldn't typically be the jumping off point. How do we get the core base operations of how we're planning, forecasting and reporting automated in a way? We like to call it touchless forecasting as an example, where, as I mentioned earlier, as an analyst, I will log in. And as I log in, I have a full forecast sitting in front of me based on the refined kind of parsed out and specified drivers that I need across each of the different pieces. We don't need to apply machine learning and artificial intelligence to our GNA expense, most likely in most cases, because that's relatively stable typically. Revenue, volume, you know, some elements of COGS, if they're commodity driven or otherwise, yeah, that could make sense, but I got to use the tools the right way to get there. And so having that vision across those different five or six big components will be critical. And, and the good news that we've found historically, and Glenn would love your perspective as well, I don't believe there's a tool out there that will be is a bad decision for any company. There's tools that are better fits based on industry, based on their culture even, and, and how they want to use the tool or how they want to deploy and govern the tool. But all these tools can make it work. You just have to have a strategy and a very clear perspective on how these tools will work together, why you've chosen those tools, and how then they will be deployed. Yeah, absolutely. I think you hit on the keys there around the strategies of how the tools work together. I think it's also true while there's not one bad tool that's there, I think there could be bad implementations. I think there could be bad designs. And setting expectations that a single tool is going to address all of your reporting requirements is probably a huge overstep. There's a lot of different information that your stakeholders need, whether it's weekly, daily, monthly, traditional financial reporting. And I think it's unrealistic to expect that a single tool is actually going to accomplish all of that. I think the bigger questions are, how does it fit into the overall enterprise? And what questions are we going to have structured within tools? And what questions are we going to answer through ad hoc analytics and the use of BI and other tools? Absolutely. No, it it makes great sense. And I think that's where folks can start to get a little intimidated and there are things to consider, but those questions to consider have been considered by many. And so there's a structured way we can help think through and make sure you get to an answer that'll be both productive because what we don't want typically is, all right, this is our strategy. Now let's go off in a corner for three years and try to get all this stuff built and, and do this great unveiling. It's really all about incremental progress towards that end state vision. How can we deploy capability whether it's by geography, by business, by looking at different elements of the P&L balance sheet cash flow in ways that are relevant to our company in terms of what the highest priority is, but also, again, aiming towards that North Star we've established so we know when we get two, three, four years out and we got it all done, all the reporting, the planning, and all the pieces, we have a good feel for what that's going to look like and how that's going to evolve. So again, just to summarize, the five questions every CFO should ask their uh, FP&A or business leaders. The first one is really around establishing a compelling vision of how they will impact the business. Question two is really understanding, are we producing the right things? And are we continuously evaluating and updating what we produce so that we can drive to that vision, but also drive value within the organization? Third question is, are we effectively saying no in the right way to kind of redirect our leaders to the right topics and analysis that we already have or make some quick tweaks to things that we have to help their needs? 
The fourth is, are we spending our time the right way? And the fifth question is really, do we have a clear vision of how we'll leverage technology to enable our teams? Jason, any other thoughts before we wrap up? No, it's a great summary, Glenn. It's, it's an exciting time to be part of, of FP&A because all of these things we've seen, we've seen companies try to undertake these different aspects of improvement, certainly sometimes for cost efficiency, but more so we're seeing it because either they need to be, again, one step ahead of the business versus two steps behind running to answer questions that we want folks to be proactive and driving, or two, they're looking to attract and retain the best and brightest folks. And when you've got your MBAs or otherwise kind of mired down in Excel, and then they pop up for an hour to try to make sense of it before the meeting, there's some challenges we've seen historically related to attracting and retaining talent as well. So it's, it's an exciting time to be part of this. And I think there's a lot of great options and a lot of great elements that can be addressed again, very near term, as well as things that some might do want to have a bigger of a longer roadmap to achieve. Absolutely. And if organizations want to try to think through answering some of these questions, where might they start if they want to make substantial changes on, a, on an ongoing basis? Yeah, another, another really important question, and not dissimilar to how we look at the technology and wanting to have a vision. We always want to start with a blueprint. Again, if we think about the different aspects of people, process, technology, and data, we want to say, what are the capabilities, all the questions we've talked about today? What's the value we want to drive? And then what are the changes we need to be able to make in the near term, whether that's tomorrow, the midterm, the, the longer term, to be able to drive towards it? And then we can set expectations both internally as a finance function for how the world will improve, as well as to the business for here's how we're going to be able to serve you even better and drive even greater effectiveness of your teams as a result of what we're able to do. So taking that six to eight weeks up front just to get that vision set is critical to making sure there's a clear path and a clear setting of expectations as to how it will be driven forward. Yep, I absolutely agree. And I think that's a great exercise for any organization to do that's thinking about implementing an EPM, CPM tool that has a, a large ERP implementation on the horizon, really thinking through what are the things that we want out of these tools. And that really will set them up for the best chance of success going forward. Well, thanks all for listening to our Hackett Acceleration Business Acceleration podcast. We hope you found it valuable and looking forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks for listening. You can find the audio, helpful resources, and a transcript of each episode at podcast.thehackagroup.com. If you liked this episode, please share it. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. We'd welcome your feedback by tapping the rating on this or any episode, or send us an email at podcast at thehackagroup.com. The Hackett Group is a global leader in defining and enabling world-class performance. Learn how we can assist with your improvement journey at www.thehackagroup.com.